Many years ago, uh, a group, rock and roll group uh, called the Rolling Stones. I don't know if you've heard of them. They said, uh, it's Keith Richards, Mick Jagger. They said, I can't get no what? Satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. And even though those aren't, uh, those words aren't put together with correct English, uh, they do ring true, especially this time of year. Um, we're about to gear up for the holiday season. Marketers love the holiday season. And this is the time where marketers will get you to daydream about receiving that perfect gift or that perfect meal at Thanksgiving. And you got to remember that marketers are all lying to you because every year, every year, we have this gnawing sense of disappointment after the holidays are over, um, and we have this hollow dissatisfaction. And we're reminded every year that there's this contentment that's promised in this world that's often elusive, isn't it? There's a satisfaction that we can't actually purchase on Amazon.com, even with two-day shipping. But many centuries ago, a wiser man, someone far wiser than Mick Jagger, the prophet Jeremiah, wrote these words down. These words of the Lord our God. I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. We need to ask ourselves, what are we looking for this morning? To bring us satisfaction. Have you found it? This morning, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, the gospel according to Luke chapter 9. If you're not used to looking at the Bible, you can find this in the Pew Bible on page 866. Chapter 9 is the big number, the verse numbers, the little sentence numbers. Those are the small little numbers if you're not used to looking at a Bible. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 all the way down to verse 17. This is what Holy Scripture says. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bread, nor bag, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John, that is John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this? about whom I hear such things. And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them 
and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. He said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. If I could summarize this passage in a sentence, it's this. Jesus strengthens and satisfies his people because he is the all-sufficient Savior. Jesus strengthens and satisfies his people because he's the all-sufficient Savior. Luke intends by God's grace and his spirit to persuade your heart this morning that Jesus is all-sufficient. He is the all-sufficient Savior. And he proves his all-sufficiency by strengthening the apostles and by satisfying them miraculously in this passage. And so that's my prayer, that we would be, by God's Spirit, able to see that Jesus is able to make all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency at all things and in all times, that we may abound in every good work. That's my prayer. So number one, if you're taking notes, as the all-sufficient Savior, first thing you need to see, Jesus strengthens his people. Verses one to nine. Jesus strengthens his people as the all-sufficient Savior. In verse 1 to 9, you can see Jesus strengthens his apostles for their first mission trip. You see it in verse 1. He called the 12, that is the, the apostles, together and gave them power. There it is, strengthened them. He gave them power and authority, notice, over all demons and to cure diseases Verse two, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So you remember back in chapter six, verse 13, Jesus called the the 12, the disciples. He named them apostles, which just means sent ones. But it's in this passage that Jesus, after spending time with the apostles, teaching them, training them, this is their first mission trip. And so Jesus, who has all authority, who has been preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom and exercising authority to cure illnesses and to exercise demons, Jesus gives the apostles, he strengthens them to go and do the same. You can see that in verses one and two. Jesus has been preaching the gospel of the kingdom to Israel. And from Luke chapter four onward, he's been proclaiming and preaching and teaching, and he's been performing signs and miracles of healing that authenticate the message that he was preaching. 
Jesus came to set the prisoners free, and that's what he's doing constantly in Luke's gospel. And what Jesus has been doing is healing and casting out demons as he's preaching the gospel because he wants everybody to know that he's the king and that the kingdom of God has drawn near in and through him. For example, you want to write this down. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus sends out the 72 and he says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's the king of kings. He's the son of David, promised Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures. And his ministry is announcing he's the long awaited king who has arrived and he's bringing God's kingdom with him. So. You'll remember, Jesus has said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And now he sends his men out to catch some men through the gospel. Verse six, look down at verse six. What what do the apostles do? It says they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So this was a this was an expansive mission trip. And it's important for us to just stop for a minute and think about this. Jesus is the one who empowers his people for ministry. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one who empowers his people for ministry so that he gets all the glory. That's the point. The point of ministry is that Christ is glorified so that Christ is magnified. And that's what we see here. If you follow the thread of the Gospel of Luke, it, it, it turns into the Gospel of Luke Part 2, the book of Acts. Those are the two-volume work that Luke wrote, Dr. Luke. And you remember when the apostles are brought before the authorities in the book of Acts, in Acts uh, in, 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 later on in Acts chapter 4 and 5, the Sanhedrin start to grill Peter and John. They say, wait a second, you've been preaching and healing and doing all this stuff By what power are you doing all these things? They don't say, well, it's it's, it's us. They say, Peter says, by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. That's how we're doing this. It's the power of Jesus. The ministry and mission of the apostles was empowered by Jesus Christ. Remember at the very book of, beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and he says, he says, you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you shall be my what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The ministry of the apostles is empowered by Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's true for us. We are not apostles. There there aren't any capital A apostles anymore. But we are empowered by the same Christ. A little verse you want to look up later. I'm going to read it to you, but you want to meditate on it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to what Peter says to the church. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace. Whoever speaks 
as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, listen, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Christ strengthens the mission and ministry of the church so that he gets all the glory. As his church, we serve in the strength that he supplies. We're not strong in ourselves. We're only strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are those who are strengthened with power according to the might of his glory for all perseverance and patience with joy. Colossians chapter one, verse 11. So this morning, what are we doing? What are we heralding? What are we, what are we about as a church? We're about the same gospel of the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, who's come into the world to save sinners. That's the same message the apostles were preaching. That's the same message that the church has proclaimed from its outset. So this morning, just one, one application for us. If you see right there in the, in, in, in the passage, the apostles are devoting themselves to preaching just like Jesus did. You'll notice that Jesus preached. The apostles preached. He calls his church to preach, to proclaim this news to the world. And I realize many of you, maybe not all of you, most of you will never be preachers, Right. We're all called to proclaim, but not all of you are going to be preachers. But all of you can pray. So if you want the sermons to be better, pray for me. (laughs) Please. I, I, I earnestly beg you to pray for the public teaching and preaching of God's word. If you take some time each week to pray for those who are going to bring God's word to you, for those who are leading the service, for those who are teaching Sunday school or children's ministry. Read the passage ahead of time. Don't don't let this passage, whatever the sermon's going to be, don't let it be the first time you've read it or heard it read when you show up here this morning. Dig into it throughout the week. If you have insights or thoughts or applications, send them. I won't be offended. Send them. It'll, It'll make the sermon better. And pray that the Lord would, by his preached word, save sinners and strengthen the the saints. So Jesus sends his apostles out as heralds throughout Israel to announce the gospel of the kingdom. Now, children, some of you children, listen up. Have you seen that great, probably the greatest movie ever made? called um, Robin Hood, the Disney animated Robin Hood. Have you seen that? You remember that? Yes. You remember the herald? The herald would show up and they would, they would blow a trumpet and then they would pull the scroll out. You know what I'm talking about? And they would announce like, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, right? That's what a king's herald was supposed to do. Dressed up really nice, representing the king. And he announces a message because the king is about to show up. That's the image of a herald. Well, Jesus sends his his, his apostles out, and they're not dressed like heralds. They're dressed like beggars. Verse three, Jesus said, take nothing for your journey, nor staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and don't have two tunics, just take one. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Now, what's going on here? 
Mark tells us in his account that he sent them out two by two. Interesting, two by two. In the Old Testament, for a witness to have credible testimony, you had to have two witnesses, right? So there's something going on here. Now, why does he send them out like this? I mean, think about it. If you were planning a mission trip and you said, here, guys, this is what you need to pack for the mission trip. Nothing. That's weird. That's weird. Go out to the mission trip, but don't take anything. What is he doing? He's doing two things. He's, He's highlighting to his apostles his all sufficiency to provide what they need. But he's also pressing on the hearers in the villages and towns that they, that they go to, that they have to respond. Where, where am I getting that? In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you see repeatedly uh, commands to Israel to be hospitable. So if a prophet shows up in your house, you don't just kick them out. You, you provide for them. We see that over and over again in the Old Testament. And what we find here is that Jesus is is highlighting the urgency. Don't pack anything, go. This is an urgent mission he's sending the apostles on. But it's not just urgent for the apostles. It's urgent for the people who are gonna hear the apostles preaching. You can't just sit back when the apostles show up in your town or village and kind of stay on the fence. You've gotta respond. You will either hear the apostolic gospel and receive it and welcome it and provide for them. And you'll enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. Or you will hear the apostolic gospel and you will reject it. And you will turn it away. And you won't enter the kingdom. There's an urgency. There's no middle ground. There's no spiritual Switzerland. You can't stay neutral. You can't stay on the fence. Look at verse five. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. When Jews would go into Gentile areas and they would depart Gentile areas, it was a common custom for them to take their sandals off and shake off the dust, like getting the unclean Gentile dirt off their off their feet. But Jesus is saying, you do that when you're leaving Jewish towns that reject me. It's a judgment upon that village. Now, being Jewish doesn't qualify you or disqualify you from entering the kingdom, but neither does being royalty. Look at verses 7 to 10. All of a sudden, Luke interposes this episode about Herod. Look at, look at verses 7 and 10. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Your Bible may say he was dumbfounded. He was confused. He was messed up. He, he didn't, didn't know how to process what he was hearing. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. That's the guy he beheaded. Or by some that Elijah had appeared. That's an allusion to Malachi chapter 3. And by others that one of the prophets had arisen. All these stories were coming in to Herod the Tetrarch. Now, some of you don't know who Herod the Tetrarch was. This is Herod. There's a bunch of Herods in the New Testament. Let me make this clear. Herod Antipas is this dude. His dad, 
Remember his dad? His dad was also named what? Herod. That was Herod the Great. The Great. Herod the Great, remember, was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby, Matthew 2. He's the one who ordered all the little boys slain because he heard a king had been born. So great family, solid family. Herod the Great tried to kill everybody. Murder runs in the family. Herod Antipas hears the preaching of John the Baptist who was rebuking his immorality. And he has him beheaded. Not a great guy. But notice verse 9. It says, John I beheaded. But listen to this. Who is this? Who is this about whom I hear such things? Last phrase. And he sought to see Jesus. Do you see that part? Now you read that and you think, huh, maybe the Lord is working in Herod's heart. Maybe he's, he, he's trying to, he, he's, he's interested. He wants to hear more. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the reason Luke puts this here is because he, he wants you to see that you can't stay where, like the position that Herod's in. Herod's on the fence. He's had all this, all this testimony concerning Jesus. He, he hasn't made a decision yet. He's still wondering, who is this guy? Now, the reason I don't think this is, uh, the, re- the reason I don't think Herod's genuinely interested in Jesus is Herod's going to eventually meet, meet Jesus. You know that? One of the best things to do to, to understand the gospel of Luke is just keep reading it. There you go. There, there's your tip for this morning. Luke chapter 23, verse 8 says this. Listen. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Why was he glad to see Jesus? For he had long desired to see him because he'd heard about him and he was hoping to see some signs done by him. He heard Jesus had done some magic tricks. That's what he wanted to see. Because a few verses later, he has Jesus abused and mocked by his soldiers and sent on to the cross. So what is Luke doing? Luke is wanting you to see from Herod's bad example that it is crucial for you to decide the answer to the question, who is Jesus? The whole gospel of Luke, friend, was written to answer the question, who is Jesus? You cannot remain neutral You can't straddle the fence. You can't say, ah, Jesus is saying this morning, you have enough. You need to decide. Are you simply curious about Christ? Idle curiosity isn't enough. It takes repentance and faith. That's what Jesus is calling you to. Repentance. Turning from your sins and receiving Jesus Christ in the empty hands of faith. If you're not a follower of Christ, you need to ask the question Herod was asking, who is Jesus? But you need to seek the answer that Jesus provides in his word. If you have questions about that, talk to me afterwards. I'll be at the back door. I'd love to read the scriptures with you or pair you up with someone in our church who would love to read the scriptures with you to find an answer to that question. Number two, last point. Jesus not only empowers his people as the all-sufficient savior, Jesus satisfies 
his people. Verses 10 to 17. Look at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Um, where's Elijah? Elijah. What does Beth mean in, in Hebrew? House? Okay. That's right, house. All right. That, it just means fish house. That's what the word means. So you know fish house is probably located where? Near, near, the, near the Sea of Galilee. That's right. You remember Bethsaida? That was where Peter and Andrew, uh, uh, Peter and Andrew and Philip were from Bethsaida. And so this was northwest part of the Sea of Galilee there near the water. There's a bunch of uh, hills and wilderness area right outside Bethsaida. So that's where they are. They, they go to Bethsaida. And they're, they're basically going on, they, you know, they go on a mission trip. They come back. They're excited to tell the Lord about how it went. And so they're tired, right? They've been ministering everywhere. And so Jesus is like, hey, let's go on a retreat. This is great. We can go on a retreat. We can relax, hang out outside Bethsaida. This will be great. Y'all, are, you deserve a break. That's the, that's the idea. Um, we know this because Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and let's rest a while. We know that 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 was the point, a restful time after an intense period of ministry. So they go away. They go away. Verse 11, plans change. When the crowds learned of it, they followed him. Now, stop for a minute. Have you ever had your your plans change? You know. You ever have, you're planning for a restful weekend or something and all of a sudden the wheels fall off your restful weekend, right? All of a sudden, maybe someone shows up uninvited, right? Or uh, someone, something happens and all of a sudden this period of rest you were looking forward to, it just, it just vanishes uh, like, like dew before the noonday sun. It's just gone. It's gone. That's what's happening here. The disciples are looking forward to time alone with Jesus to rest, but then they're bombarded with crowds of people flocking out to see them. The word is out that Jesus is back near Bethsaida and the crowds come calling. This may not be the most important point of this passage, but I want you to see this. Look at how Jesus responds. How would you respond if your weekend retreat got taken away? Look at how Jesus responds. They followed him, verse 11, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had any need of healing. Now, I want us to just linger here for a minute because I think verse 11 shows us the beautiful heart of Christ. This is wonderful. You need to pause and meditate on this. Apostles were tired. The party had been crashed. The crowds did not RSVP for the retreat. But we're told in verse 11, how does Jesus respond? Does he rebuke them and send them away? No. He welcomed them. He spoke to them. He gave them good news. And he healed them. He cured them of everything. Listen to... J.C. Ryle's comment on this. Quote, we never see Jesus dealing with people according to what they deserve. Say that again. We never see Jesus 
dealing with people according to what they deserve. We never find him scrutinizing the motives of his hearers. We never find him refusing to allow them to learn from him because their hearts weren't right in the sight of God. His ear, listen, was always ready to hear and his hand was always ready to work and his tongue was always ready to preach. None that ever came to Christ were ever cast out. And then Ryle says, we too may draw near to him with boldness and open our hearts to him with confidence because he is a savior of infinite compassion and unending kindness. He will not break the bruised reed. We need not fear anything if we commit all to the Son of God. We shall find that his kindness is unbounded because he says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that beautiful? I'm sure the apostles were upset, but I'm sure they also learned something about the heart of Christ, that he is ready and willing to receive sinners, even on a retreat. So now this retreat has become a work trip. Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away. The 12 came and they said to Jesus, can you send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions for we're here in a desolate place. There was a lot of people that came out. This wasn't a small group of people. How do we know this? Look at verse 14. There were about 5,000 men. You see that? 5,000 men. Now they don't have enough food to feed 5,000 men. There's all this speculation over how many people were actually there. The men were mentioned, but they didn't count the women and the children. We know that from Matthew's account. So who knows? 10,000? We're not sure. The point of it seems to be there's way more people than they have food to to feed, right? How much food do they have? Well, look what he says in verse 13. I love this. They're like, hey, Jesus, we got to feed all these people. And Jesus, oh, this is great. Verse 13, you give them something to eat. (laughs) Why are you coming to me? You do it. Think I've just given you power and authority, right? You can solve it. And they say, uh, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. We've got enough for like two fish sandwiches with a little bit of bread left over. And then they'd say, unless we're, we go and buy food for all these people. We know, again, if you look at the other accounts, Mark says they would need 200 denarii to pay for the food for all these people. That's like uh, eight months worth of wages. It's a lot of food. They don't have it. So what happens? What does Jesus do? You look at verses 14 down to verse 17. And Jesus said to his disciples, we'll have everybody sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And then look, verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looks up to heaven and he says a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, gave to the disciples and set before the crowd. And notice verse 17. 
and they all ate and were satisfied. Not just that, notice what was left over was all picked up. It was gathered up. And how much did they have? So somebody say it. How much did they have? Twelve baskets of broken pieces. So we know that they didn't just have like a little nibble. I mean, some people have said maybe they just took a nibble of the fish or something. No, this, they were full. All these thousands and thousands of people were full. And they had 12 baskets of food left over. So what's going on here? What's going on here? All of them ate. All were satisfied. Now, I want you to have in a few weeks, we're going to have Thanksgiving, Lord willing. You know the feeling, right? When you eat too much and you're satisfied and you're like, man, I'm full. The hobbits said, they call it filling in the corners. You fill in the corners. And there's food left over. They were all satisfied. The 12 apostles, I love that they were 12. The, the other gospels, they helped with the, with the cleanup. So imagine at the end of it, every apostle is holding a basket of food left over. Isn't that great? Well, it's, it's, just, it's like a teaching lesson. It's like an object lesson. Hey, guys, I can satisfy you, all of you, all of Israel. I can do this. Trust me. They were overwhelmed. They were ready for a retreat. But when they were weak, Jesus is strong. When they had no capability, Jesus was able to satisfy. The kingdom of God does not depend on our strength or our plans or our abilities, but on Christ's all sufficiency. That's what this passage is teaching. Now, if you know your Old Testament cold, you know in 2 Kings 4, Elisha did something similar, but on a small scale. If you haven't read 2 Kings 4, there's your homework. He does something for a a smaller group of people. This is large scale. And when you read this passage, as we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, you are supposed to read not just what's happening. You're to read back in the Old Testament scriptures. Because Luke tells us at the beginning of this gospel, all of these things came to fulfill what was written in the past. So when you read this passage and you see this miraculous supply of bread in the wilderness to an undeserving people, you're supposed to think, I've seen this before. I've read about this before. And of course, the event that comes to mind is when God provided miracle bread to an undeserving people, Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness. Remember that? He provided miracle bread, manna from heaven for 40 years. And Jesus himself draws the connection that God did that so that they would know that you don't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from his mouth. And Jesus draws an even further connection by saying, I'm the living bread that has come down from heaven. I've come into the world to satisfy the longings of the hungry soul by giving my life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, hey, look, you remember Elisha? Well, there's there's someone greater than Elisha who's here. And you remember Moses, the prophet like Moses, that's me, a new And greater Moses is here. Now, the whole point of this passage is Jesus's all sufficiency. One other verse 
to help you see this is that later in Luke's gospel, if you keep reading Luke's gospel, Jesus is going to refer back to these events. Luke chapter 22, verse 35. Listen to what he says. When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, then he asked them a question. Did you lack anything? And they responded, nothing. You see, the point of this passage is that Jesus is able to satisfy and strengthen his people because he's the all satisfying savior. What did he promise earlier in Luke's gospel? Blessed are those who hunger for they shall be what? Satisfied. Jesus is able to satisfy. In times of lean, in times of plenty, Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. So this morning, pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for us as a church. Pray that we would be given by God the gift of contentment in these days. May Christians in this land be marked by holy contentment. That's not tied to an election cycle. That's not tied to how things are going in the culture wars. That's not tied to whether inflation is up or down or whether the Congress votes for this or for that. May our contentment be tethered to our Savior. My favorite political maxim is the Lord reigns. Our contentment is to be found in Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient Savior. He is able to supply every need according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So we look back and we see what Jesus is doing. But Luke wants us as we close to look forward. Now, when we read Luke's gospel, I hope I hope when we read this passage, you heard it. Some of you probably did. Did you hear it? You probably picked up on this. Jesus had them all sit down and taking the bread, he looked up and blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. You know what that sounds like? Jesus is going to use the same words at the Last Supper. When he will break the bread with his disciples and share the cup of blessing And he will say, this is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as the all sufficient savior, he's going to go to the cross and lay down his life to purchase the new covenant. The promises that all of these Old Testament types and shadows pointed forward to abundant life, forgiveness of sins, cleansing washing, eternal life, adoption, righteousness, everything you need, Jesus has purchased for us in the cross and in his resurrection. And right after that, Jesus is on the road. Have you rose from the dead? Remember, he's on the road to Emmaus and he comes across two disciples and they don't recognize him. They're kept from recognizing him. Remember that? And they have this 
great, glorious Bible study on the road to Emmaus. Remember this? It was the greatest Bible study of all time. We're told that Jesus tells them that the Messiah was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and then enter into his glory. And then we're told in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And they still didn't recognize him. And then Luke tells us this, and then we'll be done. They drew near to the village where they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is at evening and the day is now nearly spent. Hmm. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Luke wants to have your eyes open this morning. He wants you to see what those disciples saw, that Jesus is able to strengthen you no matter what you're going through, and that he is able to satisfy you because he's an all-sufficient Savior. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and in all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that in our weakness, you are made strong. In our inefficiency and inability, your strength and power are made known. Father, we pray that you'd keep us humble and needy Keep us ever mindful that everything we have comes from your fatherly hand and help us to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls, the one in whom you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Help us to love and adore him. Help us to worship and glorify him and empower our mission to take his gospel to the world. We ask this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.